Welcome back to the Los Links Talk Show. It's the first Los Links Talk Show of 2021. Happy New Year, y'all, here in uh, March, as it is uh, right now. So, yeah, we're back, and, uh, you know, it's been, a, it's been a busy few months, a uh, busy month, really. Uh, uh, WNBA free agency kicked off, uh, I believe, on, on February 1st, and uh, the Links were one of the more active teams, you know, lots of... Uh, Lots of uh, signings, uh, a couple trades in here, and, uh, you know, very different from the, the 2020 free agency for the Lynx. So, you know, there's so much to talk about. All the dust has finally settled, and, um, well, I couldn't think of anybody better to bring in than a good friend of the show, Ben Dole. Uh, ben is um, over there at uh, Floor Game. He's launched his own uh, uh, newsletter, which you can sign up for. And then he's also um, a contributor at uh, Windsider. And uh, you can also check out the Floor Game podcast, too, uh, which uh, which is uh, presented by Windsider as well. So um, you know about Ben. If you're listening to this show, you probably know Ben Dull, um, you know, just uh, just a wonderful mind in the world of uh, women's basketball, both professional and college. Uh, I believe last year we had him on to uh, break down the the draft possibilities for the Lynx because that was kind of where their offseason was uh, mostly focused on. And uh, but this year, hey, it's all about free agency, so uh, we got to have him him in here to break it down. Ben Dull, welcome to the Los Lynx Talk Show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we had to, and uh, congratulations on Floor Game. That is something that is relatively new for you. Did you launch that uh, about this time last year, or was it before the the Wubble season, or uh, when was that? And tell people about Floor Game, the newsletter, and how they can get it, and how that's been going for you so far. Yeah, we're coming coming up on a year, I think. I'll have to check the exact date. Started, did I start after the draft, or right around draft time last year? Uh, it's It's going okay. You know, it just the whole point was just kind of creating some kind of outlet. Uh, as many people know that cover the game, you know, you're doing this on your own time and doing it on your own dime too. So it's really just kind of for the love of the game, and it's uh, taken some pressure off of me. I think just kind of gonna try to be somewhat consistent, put some content out there, and and I, you know, put a lot of time into what I do, but. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's there if, uh, for people that want to find it and, uh, hopefully I can, I'm going to be ramping up a little bit here with, uh, coming into another draft cycle. Yeah, totally. And, um, we'll have, uh, links to the floor game, uh, newsletter and the podcast and Windsider and stuff here in the show notes of this episode, but you can also go to floorgame.substack.com and, uh, you just type in your email and you can subscribe and then, uh, you know, as, uh, as uh, whenever Ben, uh, whenever the inspiration strikes, he'll uh, he'll send you a, a wonderful newsletter. It'll land in your email box, and you can you can be smart about uh, women's basketball as well. So make sure you check that out. Uh, I of course have been subscribed since the beginning, and it's a wonderful resource. So go check that out for sure. And then yeah, also Windsider, which you know all about. They're also doing a great job. Uh, you know, just polishing everything, just getting better. Contributors all over the uh, country as far as different teams and stuff like that. Uh, I believe a friend of the podcast, uh, Eric Beck, is one of the one of the voices there for the for the links as far as writing stuff about the links. So you can uh, read his stuff over there. And uh, but yeah, we got uh, we got a lot to talk about here. So uh, we're gonna get into the free agency signings 
for the Lynx, and we're going to kind of do it in order of uh, importance, in order of, um, you know, the, the big names at the top here, and then we'll, uh, you know, talk about the trades, and then, uh, you know, maybe look ahead to the draft a little bit, and, uh, you know, just talk about anything else that needs to be um, spoken of here about the Lynx and uh, their upcoming season, but we have to start with the headliner. It's Kayla McBride, uh, former all-star and, uh, you know, just as uh, someone that uh, was, was first in line for, for, for the target uh, for Cheryl Reeve this year to go out and get her uh, Kayla McBride, uh, you know, kind of a shooting guard, small forward uh, type and, uh, you know, mostly known for her ability to shoot three and uh, fill it up from the outside. But, you know, I think it's, you know, for Ben, you know, I think, you know, for you, I think it's especially interesting because you spent an entire year um, out in uh, living in, in, in Las Vegas, living in the desert, uh, living uh, amongst the, uh, the the amazing heat. And uh, I remember you told me when you were living out there, you just stayed inside all the time because it was just so oppressively hot out, outdoors that you were just cooped up with the AC. But uh, you, you saw a lot of Kayla McBride up close and personal. So, I don't know. What do you think about the fit with the Lynx? And I don't know. What what can you tell folks about uh, Kayla McBride's game, especially, you know, kind of beyond the three-point shooting and some of the more, um, you know, more, some of the more details about what, what she can do um, at this point in her career uh, in the WNBA? Yeah, well, my Las Vegas summer was uh, – I, I, I did okay. You know, I was, I was next-door neighbors with Mark Davis. So, you know. <laughs> I no, I, I, oh I was gosh. not. I was not. Uh, <laughs> You're living it up in the penthouse life. Definitely not in that kind of neighborhood. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, it's a big, big signing for the Lynx, right? There was a lot of angst last season. Hey, they didn't get anybody. And to land McBride, you just have a really solid, in every facet of the game, really, somebody at one of those wing positions to plug right in and the need for shooting had been at a premium as they kind of reshaped the franchise here. So that is definitely going to pop, but there are some aspects of McBride's game that I think the links are going to amplify a little bit. One, just kind of out of need, out of necessity that they might have a little bit more to offer for, you know, to Kayla in that regard compared to a pretty loaded aces team and just the way that they're structured, but really just, you know, a player that truly can just fit, on any team with any kind of style with any you know kind of co-stars on a team so th- this was this was a big win for the Lynx and it's it's one that you don't there's not really any mystery here or just fear that you know things that you've seen in the past just aren't actually there for McBride so really a uh, really one that they can really feel feel really feel really good about yeah, it seems it seems like uh, yeah, just the you know the shooting is main is the main thing. But you know, I think it's interesting that uh, the Lynx really haven't had a player in recent years that can kind of come off screens and kind of be this you know five alarm fire like you know threat. You know, just like oh, we have to go over every single time, and you got you know chase her around uh, all over the floor and stuff. I can't you know I think you have to think back to like Maya Moore or whatever to um, really get think about that kind of player kind of off-ball actions, um, you know, curling around uh, screens and stuff like that to, to get open. And I think it's really interesting because, yeah, like you said, they've been, you know, adding adding shooting in different areas of the courts and different areas of the roster. Um, but to have a shooting guard like this, uh, 
uh, you know, a proper shooting guard, you know, capital S um, on there could really fill it up. I think that is going to be a really interesting wrinkle um, to something that they can add this year. And and obviously with, um, you know, even still in, in her advanced age, Sylvia Fowles is the centerpiece of this team. And it's all about, you know, opening up space for her to operate down low. And, you know, there's there's probably not many player better players at all across the whole league than Kayla McBride for her ability to to kind of do that but I think another thing that's interesting about her that you know I certainly don't have a great grasp on is is her defensively um what do you think about her game defensively where does she excel what kind of things is she good at on that side of the floor because again you know we've been talking about the shooting gets all the all the headlines you know it's uh that's that's what everybody wants to see is the three ball and stuff but you know Cheryl Reeves all about defense and rebounding so um, you got to be able to compete on that end of the floor as well. So, what do you think about McBride's defense? What does she excel at, and 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 you know who can she really match up well against uh, in the league? Yeah, McBride maybe quietly has really been a strong defensive player for the Aces as they've kind of ascended as a franchise, and she also kind of asserted herself as as this multi time All Star. And what I think I'd say is that one. Of, one of the biggest strengths with McBride is one, just she has good size as a wing player to where even some of the small forwards, you know, she's not going to get thrown around really by some of those players. And one of those names that comes to mind is, you know, her teammate last year, Angel McCautry, or, you know, current member of the Lynx, Nafisa Collier. But, uh, you know, not not the biggest player, but she does have good size to be able to absorb some contact, to, to be physical with some of those top scorers. And we also saw that a little bit in the playoffs in their semifinal series with the sun McBride was on Dewana Bonner a lot, especially late in that series as the aces moved those matchups around a little bit, but McBride just a really smart player. You know, she's going to know the scout on players, what she needs to do with different coverages, play the tendencies of different players. I did a piece. Maybe it'd be a good one to dig up where I basically just, you know, that year I was out there in Vegas, I just basically asked, you know, I asked her, hey, you know, can you break down some of your, you know, can you basically do a self-scout for me? And I just cut up a bunch of clips and just, you know, ran the recorder and, and listened to her break it down. And I, you know, there's there was a lot of defensive stuff there too. And, you know, she really walked, walked me through guarding somebody like a Chelsea Gray, who's, you know, a really physical player that has the ball in her hands a lot. And that's where that size can really come into play. But even somebody like a Tiffany Hayes, who might be the most explosive straight line driver in the league, to under you know talking about understanding, you know, hey, I got to know her tendencies when she catches on these spots on the floor. What does she really want to ultimately accomplish? And you know, what do I need to do to limit her effectiveness? So, a really smart player, all around. She's really taken a lot of pride in that, and you know, that's been a big part of, has been a part of, some top ranked you know Vegas defenses. So, so that's a, that's another a, a big you know a big plus here on top of what you're getting offensively. Yeah, excited to see what she can do on that side of things. And then, yeah, going back to the scoring too, another nice thing. And I think this is a uh, this is something that we'll talk about or at least know for these 
these three main signings they had uh, this offseason is they, they're all pretty good at getting to the line and, and then also for sure good at hitting free throws. So that's going to be good you know, in late-game situations, tight game, clutch games, uh, and hopefully playoff games. Making free throws is huge, and you know McBride is nearly a 90% free throw shooter for her career and you know gets to, gets to the line at a pretty good clip. You know, It's kind of fallen off in the last couple of years um, in some of her – uh, later San Antonio years in her first Vegas year, she was getting there, you know, and, you know, over four times a game last year, three and a half. So, you know, st- still pretty good. But, you know, I like that that part of her, too, is, is um, you know, especially for the Lynx who can, you know, obviously they're going to try and fix this. But sometimes their 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 half court offense can get a little bogged down. Um, the ability to get to the free throw line can really keep you efficient, uh, even if you don't have um, other things working. And, you know, the Odyssey Sims is moving on now, but that's something that she really brought to the team that that worked really well. You know, she couldn't really hit from out, uh, you know, long range, but she was able to get into the lane and, and get fouled. And so I think uh, that's something that Kayla will uh, bring to the team as well. So, yeah, lots lots to like about the Kayla McBride signing. Like you said, it's kind of a you know it's an open and shut thing. Like it just makes a lot of sense. She's a high level player. Who's kind of really proved it over the last few years. And um, sounds like Cheryl knows her well from the USA Basketball stuff, which is always a another plus. You know, they talk a lot about the Lynx. Uh, uh, sort of you know the players wanting to come here for the you know the overall experience and you know just like the pedigree and the the dynasty stuff. But I think the other important thing is Cheryl being a part of USA basketball and being able to kind of get an extra layer in on sort of knowing these players either behind the scenes or just kind of knowing their work ethic and stuff like that. And Kayla McBride is is the latest example of that, I think. So excited to see her uh, play for the Lynx this upcoming year. Anything else you want to add on McBride before we move on to somebody else here, Ben? Sure. I think, I think offensively for McBride, I think it's, it's going to be fun to see, how they kind of open up the playbook and just what they, what the vision is there for, for her and, and maybe how that might evolve and grow over the course of this first season, especially I, I think McBride's specific skill set is going to really be an eye opener, especially I think with how Kayla can play with Nafisa, especially in some two man game. If you just give Nafisa the ball and she can ha- play handoff with McBride who can, get that ball and shoot the three. If you go under, she can get it, take a dribble, hit the pull-up. She can take it, go all the way to the rim, cut back door. Or if you switch, Nafisa's got a size advantage. She can go into a post-up, play some bully ball. So I think there is uh, an element there. You know, With all the intricate things they can try to run to get McBride an open shot, there's also that, that simplicity to where I think she can just go play with Nafisa and if you've got a couple shooters and then maybe you've got Sill there in the paint, that that can really be, that can create a ton of problems for people. McBride's also an awesome player in transition because she's just so confident streaking down the floor. You know, if she's got any chance at an open three, she, that thing's going up and it's probably going to go in. So that puts, that strikes a ton of fear in teams. And even even for Kayla with, with fouls, you know, you mentioned, um, you mentioned just fouls and where she's at and how she's still kind of involved, you know, I think McBride and that element of her coming off the screen, you know, the Lynx might be able to get back to that same play they ran for Sill for probably, she must have got, you know, close to 100 baskets or free throw trips off the same play in her MVP season in 2017. So that, that, that'll that be, that'll be really exciting to see, I think, 
uh, Collier next to Fowles with McBride, all all the different stuff they can do. I think that's going to be really fun, and it's gonna it's gonna take some pressure off of those players because McBride's pulling you one direction, while while you also really want to try to collapse on those two players to keep them from getting an easy basket in the paint. Right, and McBride said, you know, she in her in her presser and stuff like that, and you know, she's just seems like she's ready to, you know, have more of a role offensively. And she kept mentioning, you know, kind of taking the next step in her career, and so, you know, I think that'll be interesting to see how that, you know, manifests itself, especially on the offensive end of, you know, having the ball in her hands a little more, being a little bit more of the uh, focal point of the offense, and uh, excited to see, yeah, what Cheryl can do uh, with some of those actions to, uh, you know, leverage her shooting and and uh, yeah, keep that uh, keep that offense humming. It'd be awesome to watch. So looking forward to that all right next player we have to talk about is uh, ariel powers um signs a three-year deal uh kind of a similar deal to Kayla mcbride and uh powers coming over from uh coming over from washington uh where she spent the last few years uh spent a few years in dallas before that and uh you know i gotta admit uh this unlike uh unlike mcbride uh, ariel powers is not someone to have a good grasp on as far as you know their skill set and what they can bring to the game you know uh you know i think she you know played a lot more you know her minutes uh were, were, were a lot bigger last year in, in the bubble um with washington i think a lot of that you know kind of having to do with uh cloud not playing and stuff so there was more of a opportunity for her but before that she was a reserve player you know kind of coming off the bench and and doing those types of things so um, let us know about Ariel Powers. I mean, I feel like, you know, it's, it's it seems like she's kind of a, you know, jack of all trades type of player just based on some of the things that uh, Cheryl has said and, and things like that as far as, you know, being very well-rounded and can kind of score it all over the place and then also a good defender. So I don't know. What is uh, where do you see Ariel Powers fitting into this? And you know, the other interesting thing is like if we if we think she's like a for sure starter on this team. You know, I don't think uh, Reeve wants to wants to lock that in yet. You know, I think you can probably just lock <laughs> in uh, Fowles and and Collier, and then and probably probably Dangerfield as well. But as far as oh, of course McBride. But then that last slot, you know, I feel like it could go a uh, number of ways uh, as far as. But you know, I don't know. I feel like you have it in your. Um, you know, your uh, sort of, uh, what would you call it? Like the, you know, the the roster breakdown or whatever for, you know, you have her as the starting two guard there. But I don't know. Dantas, Dantas I think, is going to be heard from in this. And I think Dantas is such a good fit around fouls. So who knows if Powers will be starting or if she'll be the sixth uh, six person off the bench. But, um, again, tell us a little about Ariel Powers and where you think, like, her strengths are. Because so far all I've heard is, like, she can kind of do a little bit of everything. And that's kind of what makes her special. But, uh, you know, what, what do you see in in Ariel Powers is like what makes her a great player. Yeah, so Powers is interesting. One, just because that didn't happen officially quite as soon, right? That right, right, <laughs> that yeah. became official more recently, and we'll, we're going to get into that part of it later. Totally. And on on one hand, Powers is interesting because McBride. I think going into this, the idea of her getting a max contract somewhere was hardly a surprise, and I think even. From a from a non diehards perspective, right? It's okay. It's someone I've seen on the All Star team a few times, so that that you can pull up her box, her uh, you know just her one one page summary with her stats. You see, she's put up some big scoring numbers. Okay, that makes sense. So if you do the same thing for Powers, I think that on that just like through that lens, it might be a little bit more surprising to some people. And one point, I think this doesn't quite apply. When you really dig into it, 
But one thing with this new collective bargaining agreement is our play our free agents going to get paid significant paydays to maybe go step into roles that they haven't quite had somewhere else mm, yeah so for powers some of that's true and, and you made a good point about the starting lineup i agree and i think what i would just say is you know one i wouldn't be surprised obviously if they did a few different things and you know if you start powers you start dantes either way you know either way one of them they're playing a ton of minutes anyways so i don't think that on that in that sense it'll be a huge problem but i do think i do think powers is going to close the the overwhelming majority of games for the Lynx. and i brought up tiffany hayes earlier powers is a little different but she's one of the most explosive players in the league whether it's from a triple threat pump fake and go or put one quick move on you and go to the basket she's really tough to stay in front of one-on-one and that's an element that this link links team didn't really have so that's going to be a huge addition if you think about the shot clocks winding down or for whatever reason our, our first look we just couldn't get it and we need someone to just go do something for us that's somebody that can break down their defender get all the way to the rim to either get fouled go finish at the rim has has that mid-range game to still be able to score on her own or to make a play for somebody else because she's able to get by her own defender, draw some help, and then you can play from there to where other players you can you know you can create an advantage for those players to attack even if you get into players off the bench that she might be playing with like a Bridget Carlton right who is an excellent shooter and even a Rachel Banham they might not be the main drivers of your offense but you know someone like Powers can also amplify amplify that when you're surrounding them with shooting yeah yeah and you and i'm just looking at their stats from last year comparing powers and and mcbride and it's interesting to kind of look at just looking at the three-point stuff they're almost identical as far as percentage last year you know right around 35 ish 34 ish um on almost the same amount of attempts uh 4.3 attempts last year for for powers uh, versus 3.3, so a whole shot less. You know, a little bit of a down year last year for McBride, a little bit. But um, so I think it's interesting that they're kind of similar players, I guess, from that kind of way. But um, man, it's so interesting how how much the just in these two players, how much the Lynx have boosted their their backcourt creation. I mean, that was such a problem for them over the last few years of finding reliable offense from their you know from their point guard from their shooting guard um you know you think about you know daniel robinson and um you know the the different players they had there is playing the point guard you know sims you know again could get it done could get in the paint could get fouled could create some stuff but you know it was just sorely lacking in the three-point shot and in the stretching the offense kind of ability so they could always sag and go under on her and stuff so it seems like now they again you kind of mentioned end of shot clock stuff and and that that is i feel like just going to be such a big boost to the Lynx offense to have just a now a number of players and that's even before you talk about what potentially crystal dangerfield could be in year two um you know so that's that's really going to be a powerful thing again especially as sylvia gets a little bit older and maybe you know i think she'll still be one of the best centers one of the best players in the league but even if you you know you know factor in a little bit of a drop off there in her efficiency or you know maybe some low just maybe lower minutes you know i know that's always been a thing reeves talked about is continuing to try and lower her minutes you know she didn't play very much last year because she was injured so i think there's going to be a concerted effort to play her less 
And so you're going to need other areas to kind of generate offense from. And and I think Ariel Powers and, and Caleb McBride on, on the perimeter are, are both going to be great at, at doing that. And again, Ariel's another player who gets the free throw line even more than than McBride did last year. And, and she's an 85% free throw shooter for her career too. So a lot to like as far as the offensive creation and um, – I think it's all looking good there for, for Ariel Powers. But as you mentioned, it's about stepping into a larger role for her. Do you have any um, concerns about that at all as far as, you know, again, she played 30 minutes last year. She kind of did. I guess she only played um, a few games last year, though, only only six games played. Um, uh, I don't even know what that was. Was that an injury at the end of the year, beginning of the year? I, I, again, I didn't, didn't, you know, Washington was kind of a lower-rung team last year. I can't say I watched a lot of Washington last year. But what was the deal with the injury or whatever that was for only playing six games? And, and what do you think about her potentially stepping up to playing a full season at 30 minutes a game and being a starter or a closer or whatever? Is that something that you know is going to be possible for her? And, and can she excel at that? You know, taking that next step in, in her career. Yeah, it was it was a hamstring injury last season okay. for Powers with Washington, and it really was unfortunate. Obviously, for Washington's just the fate of their season already without some some notable names there yeah. to start the season who had opted out, but just for powers herself, because that had, you know, kind of created this opportunity for her to really be their primary perimeter option, at least, but, but one of their primary options and she was playing well early in the season. I don't, I don't see it quite as a concern. I think that gets at the dynamic I had brought up initially, but what teams had seen and coming into free agency with powers was you had these two stretches, the beginning of the 2020 season, when she was more featured and with Washington and starting. And even in 2019, late in the season, she stepped into the starting lineup when Christy Tolliver had gone down. The, oh, yeah. That was the year the, the Mystics won the title. And she also stepped into the starting lineup there, even played some at the four. And so having seen those two stretches, having seen her do it, especially on a successful team, I think that kind of ate away at kind of my example of is someone is a team maybe overpaying for something that, that they haven't quite seen that's where i don't think powers really qualifies i think that that someone was going to you know i, I felt coming into the offseason very strongly that someone was going to make this kind of run at powers and that was maybe the bind that washington was in was were they going to offer her a, a guaranteed bigger role coming into the season so a concern from the Lynx perspective, I really can't see it because they aren't so hurting for talent that they won't have other efficient options to turn to, that they won't be able to surround her with shooting. So uh, just being an overall, being a good situation, already having a good team. And, and now for Powers, I'm sure it's just going to be very energizing to uh, to have this opportunity here. And again, whether it's starting or not, the, the minutes are, are going to be there. The opportunity is going to be there, and, and uh, you know, there there isn't much doubt in my mind that she's going to uh, going to excel for the Lynx. Yeah, and and just again looking at her and Kayla together, you know, I think that is go- that you know, say they start or you know, whenever they are on the floor, you know, whenever whenever in the game that it is, you know, they're going to be playing a lot together on the floor. I think it really gives them an interesting sort of like switchability there potentially with that too. And, you know, like you mentioned powers, you know, being able to, you know, maybe even guard some of the fours in the league. Um, you know, I don't know. I, what do you see there as far as defensively with, with her and Kayla, you know, they're you're kind of like, like size, you know, kind of two threes, uh, you know, powers is five, nine McBride listed as five ten. you know, 
know, so similar kind of types there. And, and, and could you see a lot of switching? Do you think Minnesota might try some of that? And, and you know, what do you see with the sort of backcourt defense potentially here? Um, and, you know, I don't know. I think that's a big step for, for um, excuse me, for Crystal Dangerfield this year. Obviously one of the smallest players in the league. And, you know, can she reliably guard point guards? Maybe I guess you could put Powers or McBride on the point guard if they have a, you know, again, like a Chelsea Gray or someone coming down the floor or whatever that you don't want, uh, you know, you don't want uh, the, the, the really small Crystal Dangerfield field guarding um, what do you think about defensively with the backcourt as it, as it pertains to powers and McBride and even Dangerfield in there yeah so the thing I would say with powers defensively is not not so much that she uh, you want to throw her at bigger players but she does play bigger than she is mainly because of her athleticism but she's also uh, I mentioned her explosiveness she's also stronger than you would assume just at first glance so that definitely does factor in. And one thing with having a smaller guard like Dangerfield is in a perfect world, you can then kind of insulate that player with size all around, as opposed to if you possibly had a, a, a small, another small guard next to Dangerfield, and then there's multiple you know, smaller targets for teams to try to pick at a little bit. And that really is almost kind of a model that the 2019 2019 mystics operated under where they had size on the wing with Chrissy Tolliver and their two bigs and the way they defended made them tough to guard and switching was a part of what they did so in some matchups we've already seen the links do that in recent years what they can do with matchups what being able to put Nafisa Collier on different people and you know McBride and powers I, I do think they will look to do that, especially against some of the better teams, as you almost need to if you want to take away take away some of their best stuff. So I think that will be a part part of what they do. I would say the one the one kind of archetype, I guess, of an opposing player to maybe circle, I think it would be the speedier guards. I think that might be the one thing you maybe worry about a little bit more if if Dangerfield does struggle. I think that's more of the player that they might struggle with. Somebody more like a Chelsea Gray who you also brought up. I think that's that's more somebody that that McBride is is best suited to guard. Yeah, so you're saying like someone like Erica Wheeler or something like that could give the Lynx problems. Someone someone quick and someone that can just move all over the floor and kind of be a, a jitterbug in that kind of way. Yeah, m- m- maybe a, more like Arike Gumbawale or even just Diamond sure. to Shields with her just her sheer explosiveness. Right, would be some examples there. Kennedy Carter, yeah. Yeah, cool. So two two backcourt members coming in, going to be uh, big minute players for the Lynx uh, here in 2021. Again, signed for three years, both of them. So uh, you, know, you know, unless there's some big trades down the line, look for, for these two players to kind of be the you know backcourt of the future, along with uh, Dangerfield uh, right there for, for the Lynx. But uh, the other big signing uh, was was a frontcourt player, uh, someone who can uh, play the center. And uh, potentially be a backup for Sill, and Cheryl's even mentioned they might play them side by side. So you know we'll see we'll see how that uh, shakes out. But Natalie Chanwa coming over from uh, Indiana, where she spent her whole career, all six years, uh, right there in Indiana, is uh, leaving that team and uh, signed with the Lynx in free agency, uh, three year deal, um, a little bit under the max, one hundred sixty four thousand ish dollars there for her and. Uh, yeah, Chanwa is someone uh, someone whose game I've really liked 
uh, for a long time now is sort of, uh, you know, kind of uh, just, you know, get it done, uh, you know, unheralded kind of big who, again, can kind of do a little bit of everything, um, you know, as far as I think she's mainly seen as a defender. Um, you know, competitor and, you know, someone who's also really good at like passing and screening some of the, some of the, uh, you know, intangible type things, I guess, out there on the floor. Um, so yeah, excited to see what she can do kind of backing up sale or even playing alongside of her. But um, I don't know. What do you think about Natalie Chan's fit on the team and, um, and the contract? I know you have, you've pushed back a little bit on the idea of like, you know, given a, a protected contract, uh, or I think that's the word for a protected contract, a three year deal, um, uh, to Achanwa. Is that something that, uh, you know, you're, you're a little bit worried about here for the Lynx? You know, I guess they just had to, you know, again, we're, we'll get to the trade for, uh, for sending Sims out, you know, a move they had to do to bring in powers. They kind of had to, you know, make that move and give up a lot to, um, you know, just to free up a spot, a uh, protected player. And then you just kind of now you have another one here with the Chanwa. So what do you think about the contract and, and the player and the fit here for the Lynx? Yeah, the WNBA doesn't like the word guaranteed for some reason. <laughs> they don't use it, right? The, the official term is base salary protection. Okay. I okay. put on my I put on my fedora while I said that. <laughs> so the <laughs> So let's just let's just do the contracts part first. So one of the things to understand with how the you know the mechanics of how the league works is teams can only have a maximum of six contracts at a time with that base salary protection. And you know, again, you can't you can't just use the word guaranteed. It's it's much easier sure, yeah. to, to, for people listening, especially. So the 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 thing to that is you know if you, if you're shelling out guaranteed contracts right you're you're tethered to those contracts right with other players you can just waive them at no cost to you so and and, you know the links specifically have already kind of gone through this a different example but karima christmas kelly who hurt her achilles unfortunately last year and the team ended up waiving her well she had one more year on a contract she was under contract through 2021 but that would because that was a protected contract. They're still on the on the hook for that money, and that's also still soaking up one of their six guaranteed slots. Yeah. So, yeah. I think an interesting thing we're going to see here with this new CBA and with how teams kind of build their rosters is, you know, those those decisions become a lot harder because you also have this stratification of player salaries. You know, under the old collective bargaining agreement. Sure, give your give your six best players, give them all the max because you could afford to do that easily, just based on what the percentage of the salary cap that a max contract was. So, as you have kind of these different tier of tiers of players emerging, just in terms of how much they're paid, as you also try to manage that, you know, both in the you know in the the near term, but then also you know with the long term vision of your team. You know, you just it's it's something you've got to consider. So my only point on this with the links, it was it was really just more about the future, even more so than the player in a vacuum is just that the links have handed out now three big contracts here for three years. So, you know, you, you've made your big swing now and they aren't told it's not as if they have no flexibility moving forward. But now I guess if we kind of got to the player, you know, the, the interesting part of this is you've you've added a Chanwa, but you already have Sylvia Fowles. 
you have Demiris Dantes, you have Nafisa Collier, and this Lachanwa move at the same time when you signed Powers and McBride, who in theory, again, we'll see if they start together or not. In theory, those two are going to play starters minutes, and those are two wing players. So you would think that slides Nafisa down to the four. You still have Dantas in the mix, and yet you've you've added a Chanwa as well. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you look at the cap sheet, and um, if you guys don't have it, uh, head on over to uh, her hoop stats, and uh, they have a very nice. A nice, uh, you know, um, you know, full full cap sheets for every team in the league, and yeah, they'll show you who the protected players are, the fully guaranteed players, and yeah, they only have five this year because Christmas Kelly is one of those, and but yeah, it's really more of a thing for like 2023, which is, you know, it's, it seems far out now, but it'll be here before you know it, and this is, you know, again with the CBA becoming what it is, it's a lot more interesting to look at that. You can now look down the line, and like you said, the stratification of the different player salary types that are out there now, the different numbers, you know, and the links, yeah, you know, in, the, in 2023 right now, they have McBride, Powers, and Achanwa as those protected players, and hopefully Fowles will st- still be around, so that gives you four and then that summer is when Collier is is due a do a big contract, and you know she's going to want a protected deal and a max deal probably, and Dangerfield's the next year after that, and so you know, and then that's without even talking about adding other players. So, like to your point, it gets kind of tight pretty quick if you're just playing fast and loose with some of these uh, protected contracts and your backup center in, in Natalie Achanwa is kind of one you look at and say, you know, did you really need to do that? But I know you've talked about in past shows that maybe that was the price of getting her, right? Maybe that was someone else had maybe had a deal with that or, uh, you know, that's just what table stakes were if you wanted to have Natalie Achanwa on your team. Um, so I guess the Lynx really believe in her and, and what she can do, especially, I guess, in the situation that we talked about before where Sylvia Fowles is trying to, you know, be a little bit more low management to use a you know buzz buzz term uh, in basketball and just being careful a little bit more I guess it is you know the the, the counter argument is it is important to have a it's not just a backup center it's kind of like a co-starter in some kind of ways minutes wise or whatever so I guess I could see it but I don't know what do you think about Chandra's game and and do you think like she's worthy of kind of you know being that I mean I think she started a lot of games for Indiana last year so she's proven that she can you know be that starter and can can be reliable in that kind of way but do you think her skill set fits with the team and 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 she can be uh, reliable to kind of you know be be a you know big big minute player uh, for the links or hey maybe filling at, at center if 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 still goes down with the foul, with uh, with an injury again knock on wood yeah and this this is this is one of the interesting conversations that you know we can actually have because we have <laughs> we have great. salary information it's great yeah it's so people. good everything's better now that we have her hoop stats and all these things all these people that have hustled to get these things it's wonderful it's why we're doing this show and it's it's a whole new day for for uh, discussion uh, within the WNBA now right so thinking about just what what the links are going to look like on the court and 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 just this this move as opposed to maybe what else they could have done you know for one Obviously, this isn't really about Powers and McBride, right? Like, they're, they're still going to play. So what this is really about is then, if you're still finding some time where Nafisa's possibly playing the three, just because Dantas and Achanwa are both going to need to play somehow, then you're really eating and you'd be eating into the minutes of probably Lexi Brown and Bridget Carlton to where, where I think I kind of see that 
as one of the big strengths of this team right now is having those players off the bench and having their shooting and their their all around skill sets. So, I, I you know frankly like right now I don't really see how they end up with these lineups where Achanwa is going to be playing very much with fouls at all mm. if Dantas and Collier are both healthy. It's right. It's just hard to see where the time is to get them on the court together. So of course I can you can see the other element of just backing fouls up, maybe even a hedge, worrying just what the next year or two might look like for Sill, being able to give her the occasional night off. That part is the easy part to digest. And getting to what it kind of looks like on the court, I think the two big things for Achanwa that stand out are her passing and her screening. And even the word connector, I've seen that used more in basketball circles I kind of like that. I, th- I think that kind of applies to her as well. So the the thing with Achanwa is, you know, they'll be able to give her the ball at the elbow, turn and face the basket. You know, if, if Nafisa's ducking in for a post-up, facilitate, throw it to her. Maybe you've got an option where McBride's coming off the screen, be able to hit her, be able to play, you know, play some, give it, play a handoff, give a handoff to one of the guards Achanwa can hit that 15, 17-foot jumper. Maybe she'll be able to extend out to three. She took a few in Indiana. So maybe that had been something she has been working on more and more and might be ready to unleash that. So that would be nice. I'm not sure if how big a part, how big a factor that was in the decision to sign her. So as, as you think about all those things, you add them up and think about the fit. There's some interesting stuff to how it all can work offensively especially defensively too i kind of wonder you know what the, what that'll look like when fouls isn't on the floor and i'm sure that's something that the links were looking at is and then even thinking back to that stretch without fouls during the regular season last year especially where they're playing with fouls and dantis together a lot could you've gotten some more rim protection out there some more defensive rebounding you know, two think two things you probably heard about plenty. I don't know if Achan was the best player to bring them that. So all in all, you know, really thinking about it again, my criticism wasn't even so much about the player. I think the one thing that stood out was the third year with that contract specifically is what really stands out. One interesting thing the Lynx did do is they did this this sal this salary structure is declining year over year. So that is one small element to this, where instead of raises, that that salary is declining as the Lynx can look to spend some money elsewhere. Next year, they've got Dantas still under contract as part of that two-year extension she just signed. And you figure if you re-sign Sylvia Fowles, again, they won't be totally hamstrung next year if they do have one player they really want to go pursue. So, you know, the, the question for me is just is just more of a long-term one. You know, if you're really sold on a Chanwa long term, possibly even if if Fowles has moved on by then, okay, then we'll have to see how that looks, right? But if not, you know, you can also leave other doors open, right? I mean, just see what happens, and, and maybe next year's free agent class is extremely unlikely because it might just be unlikely that Fowles is going to retire that soon. But you know, the 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 thing with you know looking at free agency and especially with with what some of these front court players have been paid there's going to be a whole new crop of players next year right 
<laughs> yeah. And looking at, so looking at some, uh, looking you know, to get paid. From, yeah. Bigs. This has been a great year to be a free agent. Big. A lot of those players have gotten paid big time. And it's not, again, it's not so much about Achanova's ability, but I think that third year and what, you know, other possibilities might be there to them. Again, just an example. I don't think next year is the year they get out and spend at center, but just to think of it this way, Jonquil Jones is a free agent next offseason. So is Maisha Hines Allen is going to be a restricted free agent. You know, there are just stuff's going to happen. So I just think it's it's a big commitment and these things all just stack on top of each other. But I'm interested to see how it plays out. And in more in the near term, again, I think there's a lot of stuff to like, but just even where are the minutes going to come from? This is going to be a pretty competitive rotation. Yeah, which is a good problem to have, I suppose, right? You like to like to have that. Lots of players fighting for those spots and those minutes. And, yeah, someone might be uh, the odd person out looking in on that. But I think it'll be interesting to see Chanwa. I mean, I feel like she's got a really good shot to play a lot. And, again, again especially if they try to, you know, scale down the minutes for fouls. And it's been it's kind of been tough sledding for the, you know, backup center role for the Lynx for the last few years. I don't know. I think – I don't know, since maybe like McCarville or whatever, they really haven't had someone who was, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm a bigger Temi fan than most, I think. I think she's, um, you know, I think she's really talented and can really do a lot on the floor. I'm not sure if her and Cheryl necessarily were the best fit or, you know, I don't know if Cheryl really tr- fully trusted her, I guess is maybe the better way to say it, just because she would have some head-scratching plays here or there. Um but, you know, before, last year, you know, with Temi was not around, it was Kayla Alexander who they talked a big game about before the season, but then she ultimately kind of didn't play even after uh, fouls went down, you know. So uh, the backup center thing has kind of been really interesting for the Lynx, and maybe it's just the huge drop-off when you have, you know, probably the best center in, in the league or top three center in the league. Uh, no backup can really kind of live up to those minutes after the fact, but hoping that Chanwa can really provide some positive play there and, you know, be someone that at least Cheryl can trust to put out there for 20, 25 minutes a night and, and uh, you know, give you a, give you solid play and just kind of be able to hold the line when, when Sills on the bench. So that should be interesting to see kind of the rotation machinations of how, how all that works out. But like you said, it's Dantas in there. It's uh, you know, you still have, uh, you know, Collier who can, you know, play some four for you for, you don't see her at the five, but you know, she's more of a three, four and then Jess Shepard as well is still in the mix here. So yeah, who, you know, Cheryl raves about all the time, every, every opportunity she gets so a lot of names in here and lots of lots of minutes to go around but again that's a good problem to have right you want to be in this situation you don't want to be you know scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to figure out who's going to give you minutes in these spots it's good to have roster crunches i guess in some sorts of ways if you can uh, manage the personalities and the all that kind of thing right you just got to keep everybody happy and uh hopefully <laughs> hopefully everything's okay in that kind of way right right and one more thing to kind of flip to the other side of the table too more of I think getting to what Minnesota may have been what may have been a big factor in this also is you start to look at the the picture now of what's on the roster and you you know I think a fair thing to ask is you know where where else are do they really need to spend immediately here right and just because at some point you got to just go get some players right so they're really going for it here you're trying to win You've added Powers and McBride. Okay, so you're not you spent big at the wing, right? You're not you're not going to be spending in a big way at that spot for the foreseeable future. You've got Nafisa Collier, and you also have Dantas on this extension. Okay, so you're not going to be spending in a big way at the four. You've got Sylvia Fowles, so 
if you're trying to get somebody who you might not, maybe part of this is, hey, we can't promise a ton of minutes right away and you might need to be in this role now. That might change. Still might have just an incredible season and there just might not be a ton of minutes really at all. Or it might it might be a little bit of a season of load management, right? And that can be a factor of it. And then even the point guard position, are you going to go spend a bunch of money to go over Crystal Dangerfield's head at some point in the future? Well, it would obviously need to be a pretty good player, right? And even canvassing the league, if you look around, I don't know that, that there's too many names, too many big names that are really likely to really go anywhere. So from that perspective, too, I think you can see kind of the some some more of the rationale maybe for why why Minnesota really moved on this. Well said. Um, cool. And then the last signing we had here is uh, Bridget Carlton. She signed for a qualifying offer. So uh, that means uh, she'll be back for, uh, I think that's just for 2021, right? And then she'll be like, like a, her hoops ha- stats has as being like, a, um, she'll be like a restricted free agent or I'm not sure. What, what, what will she be next summer then? Is it a one-year deal and then she'll be a restricted free agent after that? Is that the case? So Carlton, 2020 was her second season and then this will be her third so yes, it's a it's a it would be a one year deal. Yeah. So into next off season, she will have accumulated three years of service, so she will still be a reserved player. So they're basically going to be able to just run, do the same song and dance one more time. Nice. After that, she'll become she would become one year after that she'd become a restricted free agent. Yeah, and she's she was kind of the you know beyond. Uh, Beyond Dangerfield, she was quite the breakout player for the Lynx last year, especially like at her number, right? For for the price you're paying her and stuff like that, and for someone who was, I think, undrafted and all that. So, or she was, uh, you know, anybody could have had her, as you bring up all the time, and and so that is, you know, you, you, you've done a great job <laughs> all the time, all the time. Yeah, you've done a great. I mean, this is one of your favorite pickups, one of your favorite moves in the league over the last like two years or whatever. Is the Lynx just picking her up off the scrap heap, as you would say, and just like for her to be able to start so many games and hit some many threes and you know be able to slash to the hoop and do all the things all the again all the little things that you love about a player like that so just to have her back on that number is wonderful and hopefully she can build off last year but just to be a solid player off the bench and kind of again just a jack of all trades can kind of just get in there and and do what you ask of her i mean you got to love that right especially at that number to have uh, bridget carlton coming back and hopefully be able to build on the things she did last year Absolutely. I, I loved Carlton going into that draft and it just didn't work out right away in Connecticut. And, you know, that's part of what goes into evaluating some of these drafts and some of these players, right? Is it doesn't work out right away. Sometimes it's minutes. Sometimes you get hurt. Sometimes, you know, sometimes, frankly, a team might just, you know, give up on you too soon, not knowing what they have. And, you know, there's probably an element of that last piece here in this case with Carlton. I mean, she's got size. She's really skilled. She can absolutely shoot the lights out, which which is uh, we saw we saw plenty this past season. And it's just a really easy player to just kind of incorporate into your rotation off the bench. And even this past season, we kind of saw the scenario where maybe Carlton isn't the player if you're a contender that you want to bank on to be one of your big minute starters, but she is somebody with complimentary enough of a skill set where 
you can count on her as a bench player. You know what you can expect from her. And when somebody rolls an ankle, whatever, something happens, and you need her to step into bigger minutes for, for, a, lot, for a stretch that she can. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, I really, really was impressed with uh, what she brought to the bubble last year and think uh, think she fits great with this team. But um, let's get a little bit more into some of the trades here. There was two trades that happened uh, over the last month. And I don't know, to me, they are kind of uh, they are kind of one in the same in a lot of ways. I think like um, so the big move was to, to free up that uh, protected guaranteed slot that they needed to be able to sign aerial powers. So uh, the most uh, obvious candidate for that was to move uh, Odyssey Sims. I guess you could say, um, you know, Dantas potentially, but just the fact that she had just signed an extension and just how amazing of a year she had, you know, in, in, in Sill's absence and just the way she fits when Sill's around, I think just makes her way more valuable than Odyssey Sims, uh, despite the year that uh, Sims had two years ago, uh, I believe making all uh, all WNBA second team. So tough to see her go, but at the same time, I think she was the obvious person to uh, be moved here. So they moved her to Indiana, who uh, immediately cut her, and then Sims did sign with Atlanta. Um, so they moved Sims, the right to Temi Fagbenle, um, and then the Lynx gave up their um, 2022 first-round pick and third-round pick. Um, so those will be going to Indiana next year. And then they got back Indiana's second-round pick next year, 2022. So they basically dumped all those things just for nobody, right, to get a pick back, to move that space. That was kind of the big thing they got back was a protected slot. That was the main thing that doesn't end up in the press conference and or doesn't end up in the you know press release or whatever. They can't say, and now the Lynx have the ability to sign aerial powers. It's just like, no, that's just something you know. But So there's that big move. But the move that happened before that, um, sending uh, Herbert Harrigan um, to Seattle for a uh, first-round pick in 2022. Um, that is going to be Phoenix's pick. Um, so the Lynx will now have Phoenix's 2022 pick. To me, that trade was about regaining the pick that you'd be giving up in this Sims um, to Indiana kind of move so that you kind of make yourself whole again for 2022. Is that how you saw that? Because I think it's interesting that they would give up this early on Herbert Harrigan, someone who you know didn't play a lot last year, but was kind of more of a long-term um, kind of a project player, maybe, you know, flash some three and D ability and someone that was, you know, pretty raw and, and everything. So, but still odd to see them kind of not really give up on this player, but kind of punt on this because it just seemed like instead of having, they were kind of with the idea of having Herbert Harrigan or having a pick in 2022 in the first round, and it seems like they looked at that draft and said, "No, we'd rather be in that in that draft, and we already have enough, you know, bigs, especially as we mentioned, uh, enough front court players that we didn't necessarily need Herbert Harrigan." So, do you agree with that? That it was kind of these two trades were kind of made with the same idea of essentially, like, okay, if we have to give up our first round pick in 2022, let's get one back. Let's get one from Phoenix here if we can. Um, and so to me, those kind of those those trades kind of work together in that kind of way. And then what what do you think about the price? Uh, I guess more in the Odyssey Sims thing. Did they get really uh, were they really over a barrel here? I mean, Indiana knew that they had to get get rid of this because they had already you know signed Powers sort of. They already came to an agreement with Powers. She tweeted about it, so they knew that hey, Minnesota <laughs> has to get rid of a protected contract somewhere. We got you. You have to give us a lot of stuff. And it seems like they did get a, a good amount of things, but maybe it could they could have even better potentially i don't know what do you think about that and what do you think about the idea that these two trades were kind of with, within the same idea yeah man there's there's so much interesting stuff here and so much 
some so many different ways you could branch out. Right. So the Herbert Harrigan piece of it, Seattle to me is the real most interesting team right now with their whole string of transactions because once they moved after the Natasha Howard sign and trade and the 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 related moves all happened so quickly or even at the same time Seattle clearly targeted a couple younger forwards in this instead of just holding on to some first round picks so Herbert Harrigan clearly being one of those players that they targeted so that'd be interesting to know I think there there is a lot to the story especially again from Seattle's perspective that we don't know right now and maybe we won't ever know and but just purely the Minnesota side of it I do agree that there is there does seem to be plenty of evidence to kind of tie these two together with the idea that maybe they were going to have to stomach with parting with a first round pick to move off of Sims and also just the context of Minnesota's roster situation, which the the dynamic we've already touched on, right? With Herbert Harrigan, who's kind of a three, kind of a four. You know, I, I'm still not sure if I really know what I would say. I think I think it would also just kind of depend on what what kind of players and just how you're trying to play with your roster. But from Minnesota's perspective, to to first with to trade Herbert Harrigan, if you just think about hey, you just went out and signed two max players on the wing and you've got a superstar forward who's going to be a big part of the rotation. You've got a solidified stretch big in Dantas. And then even you have you know some good shooters that can give you some depth on the perimeter in Carlton and Brown. And Carlton surely would have to be a little higher on the rung even though she's a different kind of player, just what she did in that bigger role last season. So to move on from Herbert Harrigan, I I don't know if it was, uh, you know, how much of that was just the idea of recouping a first round pick because you might be parting with one or just acknowledging, hey, uh, you know, this, this situation has changed so much. Maybe you they might even still really like the idea of what Herbert Harrigan could become, but maybe it just wasn't, you know, wasn't in the cards anymore in Minnesota just because there doesn't really seem like there's going to be any, many minutes to go around. Yeah, like we've been talking about thing with the new CBA and all the new contract levels and stuff, things aren't so cut and dry anymore. There's so much that can happen and uh, you know, things that can move around and kind of influence the future in different kind of ways. I think it's harder to have like a strict plan for the next 3, 4 or 5 years or whatever. I think there's a lot more volatility in, in those kinds of things and uh, for the Lynx it was good things like again like like you said like having Carlton step up and be like okay this is a wing that we can you know really count on here at, at all these positions and, and again signing the signings that they had this year so I think yeah it's not necessarily a uh, you know a referendum on Herbert Harrigan season or what she can be in the future it was just more of a uh, looking at the you know the the reality of the situation as far as their roster construction goes and as far as how things broke for them with with these players coming in and things so I think it made a lot of sense for for a lot of different ways and 
wishing uh, Herbert Harrigan the best in Seattle. I mean, I'm sure she'll she'll have some chances. You know, she might she probably have a better shot at playing out there. You know, with with what they're going through right now and with the roster crunch that the Lynx have. So that should be interesting. But looking at the Sims trade, what do you think about that for? For the Lynx, did they uh, somehow mitigate the damage there? I mean, I feel like it could have even been worse as far as what Indiana could have demanded for them, right? They could have strung this out even further and be like, "Oh, you don't, you, uh, you know, you're not going to get a second round pick back from us. You're not going to get anything. It's going to be a 2023 third round pick or something even worse than that." Like, who else were they even going up against, right? So, uh, what do you think about the the return? And not the not, not the return, but for basically how much Indiana was able to extract from the Lynx in this one. Um, to be able to free them up from that protected player, right? Like the, I, I definitely think Indiana should have tried to negotiate a little bit harder. So there, there's a lot of little interesting pieces of this. Now, one for Indiana, you know, in one day as a current lottery team and one likely to be there next year as well. Any way you want to slice it at this point trying to size up what the standings might look like next year in one day they traded that you know they gave up their two first round their two second round picks sorry and when you're not very good you know this uh this is uh really one of my 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 most profound thoughts uh neil but if you aren't very good that second round pick it's pretty close to being a first round pick i think i might have that right 13th overall is essentially what it's going to be Right. So now one one piece of this too, and you mentioned that kind of the idea of teams having Minnesota over a barrel barrel here. Yes, I, that clearly must, you know, that should certainly should have been the way other teams were thinking about it if they were getting a call about Sims because, you know, this, this was Minnesota's only option at this point. Again, because they, they had already signed multiple protected contracts, so they got to that number of six. So... All those events added up to that point to where, yes, at that point, they did have to make that kind of a move. One interesting part of this is that Indiana, you kind of, you kind of touched on it, but to really say it explicitly, they you know they knew immediately that they were just going to cut bait with Sims, you know, that they're basically getting paid just to eat the money. They put that in the press release, right? Like they they knew she it was that cut soon, right away, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that that part of this was interesting, and just the timing of this trade, because as we got to this point, if you're just thinking from the Lynx perspective, it's like, oh well, Powers had hadn't even become official yet. Well, so so much of the the major moves were already done at this point around the league, right? A lot, most of the big names are off the board. A lot of that stuff's been taken care of. So this was very late in the game free agency-wise. So thinking about Minnesota's options and what they could have done, looking at other teams, I don't think there was... I mean, there was no other real suitor here for them to have executed this kind of move. I think LA, this should have been... I think this should have been the kind of trade that they were looking to do, where they maybe could have also tried... You know, I think it may have behooved them to, to have tried to butt in on this if they could, to scoop up a first-round pick. New York maybe could have, but now with the moves they've made, they're trying to be competitive. So I, I don't think it would be the be- it would have been the best move at this point for them to just possibly, you know, just trade for someone just to take that one-year cap hit. 
So and even Indiana, they've been they've been big spenders <laughs> this offseason too. Yeah. So but they still ended up having the room to do it. But but this this was all very interesting and from minute so trying to actually get to the return and there's a piece of this to Indiana I wanted to get to but for for Minnesota the fact that you're doing it with Indiana at this point where you can feel pretty certain again like Indiana's pro- they're just going they're probably going to be a lottery team next year so yes you gave up a first but you got Indiana's second round pick back so we'll see how this finishes out if you figure Indiana if that's going to be 13th, 14th, maybe 15th overall. And your first round pick depending on how good the links are this season, if it's if you know the team is really gangbusters from day 1 and everyone stays healthy, maybe you finish even like with the second seed and you're talking about the 11th overall pick and you're only moving down a couple of spots, that at the end of the day becomes a pretty minor price to pay at the end of the day. But if the team just isn't maybe isn't as good someone gets hurt that ends up becoming i don't know the sixth overall pick right that isn't crazy to suggest that that might happen so there there is some obvious downside to this but what you know we'll obviously see how that works out and again that minnesota just had to do something at this point yeah, super interesting stuff there. And again, it's just awesome that we have these kind of things to talk about even in the WNBA. It's great that these types of moves and active free agencies and draft, you know, slots being traded down the line and stuff, like it all just makes for, you know, a lot more discourse and just ability to chop it up and have discussions about these things. So, you got to love it for the overall health of the league and uh, you know, for the growing culture around, you know, sort of the free agency stuff. People love that in all sports. People to such a big degree they like that more than the games itself so i love that this kind of stuff has come to the WNBA, and it's cool to see the links kind of right in the middle of it this year all right we're running low on time but we want to talk about a few more yeah, things can we get can we get quickly to um, yeah. one thing i wanted to say though you know one one just the point i wanted to make on indiana you know obviously minnesota sends out temi part of why i said indiana should have negotiated harder i would hope that they figured that out ahead of time that temi's gonna play this year because they have the opportunity for her and if you're gonna still send out that second round pick you know i I would hope you actually get temi on the floor and you know get a real look at her for 500 minutes something like that this season but for odyssey who ended up signing with atlanta i wonder how how hard minnesota tried just to bring her back right like that may have been a part of this and that would have unleashed a whole new can of worms again because i had mentioned just the timing of this, so much money had already been spent around the league. So in a sense, if Minnesota was trying to do that, that would have been interesting because that would have worked in their best interest. Having done this later on, when more spots are filled, teams have already committed to a lot of players. She obviously ended up in Atlanta, but I just I think that would have that would have been really interesting and I wonder I wonder if that was even part of the plan. Yeah, I mean, you look at the you look at the roster, and they they still need a the last thing the Lynx kind of need is some more help, maybe at the point guard position. So, 
that could have been she could have been right back there, you know, filling in, doing that uh, backup point guard thing, and uh, like she kind of did last year. So yeah, that would have been interesting. Trade her away and then sign her to like a new contract. That would <laughs> that would have, I don't think I've ever really seen that before. <laughs> something something like that. I don't know. So yeah, that's that's interesting to think about. But yeah, now she'll play with uh, with Kennedy Carter and and uh, Courtney Williams and stuff like that over there in uh, Atlanta instead. It's may, maybe she was a little you know hurt by the trade or you know didn't want to rehash it here and. Maybe she felt like her, you know, potential for more time would would come with Atlanta, or just change a pace, you know, switch it up after after a few years here in Minnesota. So who knows about that? But uh, that does lead us into talking about any other small moves that the Lynx could potentially be having here. Again, do you think? Yeah, I don't know if the, I feel like signings are probably not happening, but um, you know, the Lynx still kind of need to fill in the point guard. I mean, they have Lexi and and uh, and Rachel Banham. They both could potentially be backup point guards. That's not like a super crazy thing to say, but you also have in your uh, floor game uh, mock draft uh, that dropped a few days ago, mock draft two point five. Um, you have out here with uh, the Lynx uh, with their number nine selection here coming up in the in the two thousand twenty one WNBA draft. Uh, you have them picking Kiana Williams, uh, point guard from Stanford. So do you think, I don't know, down at nine, do you think it's still best player available? Or do you think uh, the Lynx might actually go for an actual position and try and shore up that point guard situation here in the draft? Um, or how, how do you see the, the backup point guard potentially shaking around? Maybe they, maybe they already have that player on the roster and it's going to be Lexi. It's going to be Rachel Banham. Or maybe there's like a, a training camp. They sign Lene Harper, um, who you have here kind of lower down. It's like a third string point guard or whatever. But um, I don't know. What, what do you see as far as that? Maybe Shanice Johnson comes back on a vet minimum or something. She was in training camp and with the team last year as well. How do you see that working out? Yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty close, about as close as you can get for the Lynx right now to having a blank slate with everything at your disposal, thinking about these final roster spots. If you pencil in Rachel Bannum right now as the backup point guard, you could say they're too deep at every position. And then you also add Shepard as the fifth big right now. One path they could pursue, you know, one question left to answer is, are we going to keep 11 or 12 players? And it's looking more like 11 if they keep Rachel Banham. If they were to move on from her and, you know, mainly her salary, which is a little bit higher, that could possibly clear a way for them to keep 12 players. So that's one dynamic to watch here, right? Is just, can you get another player on the roster? But just specific to the draft pick, it, you know, again, the context with Bantam and Shepard, especially, and, and just anyone else they might try to sign, that has to play into it. But I just think where they're at, I think they have to enter the draft just thinking, we, we just got to pick the player we like the most because they have a path, especially to keep 12 players, because they do already have some solid depth if they if there end up ends up being a big there at nine that they really like, maybe Natasha Mack at Oklahoma State just throwing out a name, well then they should go for it right because they paid they paid a little bit of a premium for this front court depth. So if you if someone's there that you think is gonna be really good, you gotta take that player, or even if it is maybe a point guard and someone like Kiana who you think is just gonna be good and 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 can play behind Crystal. Yeah, and I think a lot of that can can maybe alleviate some of the. You know, protected player kind of crunch that you might have coming up here. Maybe if you, you know, again, if you select a, a front court player in this draft, then maybe that down the line, 22, 23, allows you to trade the Chanwa, trade Dantes, 
or not, or just not re-sign Dantas at that at that point or something. So that's a good point that you know you can't really be too short-sighted in this. And even at number nine, with only twelve teams, you know it's not like the NBA where there's thirty teams or whatever, and the sort of best player available stuff starts to fade later in the first round. It's like no, you even at number nine, even at the end of the first round, still picking the best player available makes a lot of sense. Again, especially like we're, the main theme of this show has kind of been yeah, it's a different cap situation, it's a different CBA. You got to be thinking a little bit differently here now. So don't get too, uh, you know, dialed into a certain position or whatever, even if that's what you need right now on the floor. And again, the Lynx don't necessarily need that. They do have bodies who can play the point guard, who can bring the ball up the floor um, and do some of those things. So um, that's interesting to think about there. Um, so, yeah, that'll be interesting to see about the draft. You know, we can talk more draft uh, once that uh, happens. But then Zonda Lassini is the last thing we should talk about here as a potential someone who um, could be coming. You know, whether she's going to be coming over or not. It's been back and forth with her. It's kind of like an every other year type of situation. She didn't come over last year in the pandemic um, in the bubble season, but um, I'm not really sure. I, obviously, I don't think anything's really been said. There's not really much information about that, but she's certainly an intriguing player, a player that a lot of Lynx fans really love, um, You know, very dynamic and just a great shooter and stuff. What, what do you think about her potentially coming over? I believe... Um, you know, if we have an Olympics, I think Italy's in there as as uh, being a team that that's going to be playing. I think you know the opposite's true with Temi, who you know the Lynx don't have anymore, but I believe Great Britain was eliminated. So again, getting back to your point about hopefully Indiana knows that she's coming over because that would make that trade a lot better for them. But what do you think about the potential of Zondalasini? And again, maybe they have to move on from Bantam to be able to afford her or whatever to bring her in. But could that be someone else the Lynx add this year? Yeah. Well. Yeah, if if she wants to come over, absolutely, that's someone they should want to get a look at. And the the one thing with with Italy, so Italy did qualify for Eurobasket this summer, so that is mid to late June this year. But they did not qualify for the Olympics. Okay, cool. So she does have international commitments uh, that will probably right. be during the WNBA season, but not necessarily Tokyo quite yet. Right. Yeah. So as you said. So far, we haven't heard anything publicly uh, on just what, you know, what Chechi might want to do in that regard. And, and maybe the Lynx are even still waiting to find that out, right? I mean, like the Mystics are still kind of figuring out their final picture where they've got to re-sign Natasha Cloud, but also Emma Misaman is still a free agent at the moment. So maybe that, you know, maybe they're just trying to wait <laughs> and find out yeah. what she wants to do. But it, when when they get to that point, too... And they think about what they want to do with the final spots on this roster. You know, they're going to have to start to answer the, some questions because I mentioned going back to, you know, looking at that wing position, going back to Bridget Carlton, how I mentioned she's kind of under team control for for a little more little while here still. So that benefits the links. That's someone that they'll be able to easily pencil in if they want to. And then you all, but you also have Lexi Brown, who's going to be a restricted free agent after this year. So. As they start to think about that, they could, you know, members of Lexi's draft class, they can start negotiating extensions. Ariel Atkins has already signed an extension with the Mystics. So you could even get into those talks or just, you know, you got to think about what's Lexi's future. If you're also trying to think about how might Chechi fit with the team and, oh, what are we going to do with this draft pick here in the near term? So those decisions all kind of touch each other and and they've got to, they do have to juggle those, but just specific to Xandalasini, you know, she she's clearly shown 
you know, just in the flashes she so- showed when she did come over, but obviously internationally too, that, you know, she's certainly talented enough to warrant a was- roster spot. So if she wants to come over, the, the links aren't totally, uh, you know, they're not exact. They're, it's not as if they're in a bad position where they can't just accommodate that, accommodate that. They might have to make uh, some kind of decision that affects somebody else that's in the picture here, but, but they, they have uh they have good reason to do it, and they, it it won't be too difficult for them. Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, that's that's a lot. There's a lot that happened with the links here in, in free agency. Probably the most in franchise history. I think Kayla McBride's probably the biggest signing they've had in franchise history. Uh, you know, especially from a player that wasn't on their team the year before. So, lots of excitement. That's all. That's all happening. But uh, as you look at the league here, you know, a lot lot to happen. We got the draft. You know, we got to figure out who some of these international players are coming over league wide. So, still. Some some potential in, you know intriguing moves to happen. Where, where where do you see the links right now? Um, as we're a couple months away from, you know, I guess we don't even have the schedule yet. We don't necessarily know that the, that the season's going to start in early May or whatever, like it normally does. Maybe it'll be delayed or something like that. But you know, where where, where do you see the links as we sit right now here um, in in early March? Um, and they're standing overall in the league. Are they are they a potential title team right now, or is that something that's maybe a bridge too far for for exactly where we are? Again, here here in March. Yeah, I had I had them a couple weeks ago as one of my one of my teams that I think would be able to win a championship this coming season. I had Las Vegas and Washington at the top. Washington pending again, they they have some stuff to figure out. But then yeah. that 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 next group of three after them, I had Minnesota, Chicago, and Phoenix. So I I think they're going to be in the mix. You know, it it is weird to kind of think about what kind of season is Fowl's going to have just because we didn't really get to see her season get off the ground at all last season, unfortunately. And it was really, uh, really frustrating because I really would have loved to have seen Sill in a series against Seattle, who they actually ran into, right? Because if there yeah. was kind of one thing you might kind of poke at with the way that Seattle team was constructed is, you know, can they handle Sill, <laughs> right? Like they don't, they didn't have great size in the interior and and now that Seattle team is is has now isn't together anymore so we're never going to get to see that unfortunately um you know Sil, Sil was one of the big was one of the probably the impetus or one of them for Seattle right before they got Natasha Howard where they were a little undersized and they just got completely destroyed there was that one half i think didn't Sil have like 20 something points and a half <laughs> against yes. the storm yeah so just you know what kind of season it's so tough to project that but you know because you know just knowing her standing and and it wasn't as major of an injury as something like an achilles late in her career so you know just thinking maybe they manage the minutes but if if sylvia fowles is still healthy i think they're going to be in there because they can play different ways now when you kind of have sure things in mcbride and powers you have that extra scoring punch of what Powers can do one-on-one, which you do need to a degree in the playoffs. And you just have that shooting, which you can really lock in around fouls. And then Nafisa Collier, but you know this roster as it's built, they're really flexible with how they want to play. They can play with Nafisa at the four. They can play her at the three. When Sill's on the bench or if she's resting, they can play Dantas at the five, Achanwa at the five. Even Nafisa at the five, if you really wanted to, they're they're not going to have to put too much on Crystal Dangerfield's plate, which might kind of, 
you know, I'm sure the, the typical headline will be, you know, is there going to be a sophomore slump for Crystal Wright, or is it just, you know, are there, is she going to maybe hit a few speed bumps as as the league, you know, scouts her for a full year? Well, you know, she's not going to be in as tough of a position because she's going to have she's has these really talented options around her too, so they don't have to ask too much of her. So I think they're going to have a really a lot of balance. They're going to be really tough to plan for to scout to just decide what you're willing to live with because with their best lineups, I don't think there's going to be a good choice left, right? If you want a double sill, are you okay with McBride getting an open three, Dangerfield getting an open three, Powers getting a chance to slash, attack and a closeout, and really the same thing, you know, the same thing can apply for Nafisa for them to maybe even play through her even more than they have so far. Yeah, well said. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, you've, it's probably the most talented, versatile team since they won the title in 2017. So you put you pair that with uh, one of the best coaches in the league, and, and Cheryl Reeve, and hopefully a comeback year for Sill. And uh, it could be it could be a special year. So I think Lynx fans are very excited about that. But uh, Ben, really appreciate you going along with me here tonight. It's been a long time since we've uh, talked in general and just been on the podcast together. So always love uh, your insight and your knowledge again i believe you're the you're the you're the top guy as far as uh you know knowing both the college game and the and the pro game you're so well-rounded i love it and uh, you always uh bring the goods so um you know everybody make sure you're checking out the floor game newsletter as well as the floor game podcast um and also uh, ben's work at uh, windsider but ben what do you what are you working on these days what should uh, people be looking forward to you i know you're watching uh, if you follow him on twitter at uh, ben underscore dull i believe is the twitter handle you'll see lots of uh clips from college basketball right now and uh, is that kind of your main focus right now and what can folks uh, uh look forward to seeing from you here in the next few months yeah i don't want to overpromise, as i uh addressed <laughs> in the beginning you know it's not my my uh, frequency isn't always what i want it to be but uh yeah i mean twitter's the best bet i'm just putting a lot of video putting video up on there really just drowning in college games right now trying to absorb as much as i can so expect some draft content from me uh expect a little bit more on the off season i've got the free agency tracker up on windsider which you can bookmark going to be updating that all off season i'll just i'll just leave it at that for now Nice. Well, uh, yeah, we uh, thank you. Pr- uh, thank you for spending so much time with me here today and talking links. And uh, yeah, the season uh, hopefully will be coming up here in a few months and we'll be off and running. And I'm sure we'll uh, we'll be hearing from you again uh, during the season. And hopefully it's a highly competitive one. Sounds like there's gonna be lots of good teams at the top and um, it should be a fun year in the WNBA. But uh, once again, good to, good to talk to you and uh, appreciate your time. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. We didn't talk about how, you know, we don't know what the season's going to look like. I know. But, uh, I know. We're hopefully, going, hopefully, going back to Bradenton or what? We'll see. <laughs> right. Hopefully I'm in your neck of the wood, woods by, uh, I don't know, 2023, 2024, yeah. and we can yeah. uh, we can uh, walk to Insomnia again just like the uh, after the 2017 finals. Yes. As much as I, as much as I love being on the show, I miss uh, – 
I miss offline podcasts. What are those called? Uh, Conversations, I think they're called. Yeah. I, I miss those. Yeah, friendships, <laughs> in-person friendships. Yeah, no, that that was a wonderful time. Ben spent some uh, some time in the Midwest, and we got to see each other every now and then, and came to came to the Twin Cities for the 2017 finals. I'll, I, I feel like I say this every time we're on the show, but, you know, the 2017 finals in Williams Arena, sitting down courtside, Glenn Taylor to my left, Ben Dull to my right doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> just, just an incredible, incredible, incredible amount of wealth on my left. Incredible amount of wealth of knowledge on my right, right there. So, uh, amazing memories. And then, yeah, we got an amazing cookie after the fact, like an ice cream sandwich, uh, insomnia cookies over there in Dinky Town. So, good times as always. Go follow Ben, and uh, we're, we're expecting uh, some some great things here uh, in the WNBA 2021 season. Whenever it is, wherever it is, it'll be happening. It'll be a good time. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Los Links Talk Show. We'll be back with more probably after the draft around that time. We'll see who the Links pick, and uh, we'll be onward to the season. Until then, goodbye.